We're like 48 hours away from football. Arizona football, the start of the Jed Fish era. And I'm like seven podcasts behind. So we're going to lump the offensive line and the defense all into one podcast. You're listening to the Wildcat Sports Report Podcast. Catch-up edition. First, the apologies, then the thanks. The apologies for not having uh, recorded other podcasts this week. Well, my son's been out of school for a couple days with a hacking cough. Thankfully, not COVID, uh, but did not uh, have the ability or time to record a podcast without you hearing a 10-year-old coughing up a lung in the background. Now the big thing. So was thinking about doing a post-game show. Wasn't sure what I was going to do, whether we were going to do something via Facebook, whether something on these new Twitter spaces, which would be an audio format, but you can only have 16. So I threw it out there. Hey, would you be interested? My hope was to get 10 people. 10 people to say yes, we'd be interested. Maybe 15 to say yes, hoping to get 10. Well, something like 70 of you have said you'd be interested. Not only that, but another podcast that I really respect has reached out to kind of combine forces. So there will be something announced, hopefully within the next uh, day or so, about where I will be with two guys I really respect. So there's a little hint for you. Uh, doing a post-game show, and as long as the technology works and, and the feedback is favorable, looks like that could be the plan moving forward for the rest of the football season, at least, uh, having a kind of a full-time podcast uh, post-game show with three people. Um, now, if that doesn't work out, we'll pivot and we'll do something else. But again, I was just humbled by the outpouring of support that you guys would be interested. I mean, it's been... I think it's been like six or seven years since I've done a post-game show for the Wildcats, and the fact that so many of you are still interested is really, again, very humbling. So, what else is humbling is my lack of attention to uh, the the calendar. I started doing the position breakdowns, was feeling really good about where we were, looked up, and I've got two days, and we've got offensive line and the entire defense still to cover. Now, the good news is, because there's so much turnover in these spots and a lack of stats for some of them, I think we can get through it pretty fast, so... We interrupt this podcast with a note. When I originally recorded the podcast this morning, or maybe yesterday when you listened to it, the University of Arizona football team had not released their depth chart. Compared to the depth chart, there will be some inaccuracies in the information that I give you about where guys might be playing, what they might be looking at in terms of first team, second team, third team. That being said, I also give the depth chart kind of a grain of salt. We have seen that the depth chart is oftentimes cobbled together last minute, usually by media relations with a brief consultation with the coaching staff. We've often seen guys who haven't even been listed on the two deep or even the three deep end up making a start and playing the majority of the snaps. We've seen guys listed as starters get one or two snaps. And the other thing to remember about the depth chart, they're very fluid. They're used for motivational purposes at times. And also, they don't take into account situations and position groups. You might have a guy as the first string defensive end in one look, but doesn't get on the field for in other you know looks and schemes, 
and then because of the way the game develops, might only get two or three snaps, although he's technically a first stringer. You might see a guy play one of the safety positions, you know, whether it's a nickel corner, a nickel safety, whether it's in this case the Viper, who doesn't see the field a whole lot because of how the game develops. Doesn't mean he's not good, doesn't mean he's not, you know, considered a co-starter or, or in the top two depth chart, just how the game plays out. You might see the same thing with a running back or a receiver, depending on matchups. That's something to keep in mind. Uh, you also notice in a few places, I'm just going to edit out what I said because it's so vastly different from the final depth chart that was released. Now, let me also note, uh, Michael Lev has said that there are some things where they are guys listed on the depth chart that barely played those positions during practice. Again, whether that's a late move, whether that's just some gamesmanship, I'm not sure. Now, you might get a guy listed as a second-string offensive lineman, but in reality, whoever's the second string at the other position would play either guard spot. Uh, so, the, again, take, take it for what it's worth. It is a guideline, not the gospel for where guys are going to play. Now back to the podcast. Oh, yeah, and I will be interrupting uh, more with these little break-ins. Let's start with the offensive line. And other than maybe quarterback, there's no position that uh, I think is more important to the success of the Arizona football team than the offensive line. The good news, you're returning a ton of bodies. A lot of guys with experience. The bad news is they haven't played particularly well. Um, if you look at it, I think Brennan Carroll uh, has a lot of work ahead of him. The good news is I think, although the, uh, there may be a lack of talent, it's been one of the best coached positions over the last few years, whether it was uh, the end of the Rich Rod era or through the Sumlin era. I think the offensive line has been coached up pretty well. We do not have a depth chart yet, so a lot of this is speculation. I think what we can guarantee you is that uh, Josh McCauley will be the starting center, assuming healthy. We, there is a rumor out there that there may be an injury to the line, but I don't think it would be McCauley. And that Donovan Lae will be the, the left guard. Now where it gets interesting is the rest of the line. Again, I think we have an eight-man rotation. Um, I would assume that Jordan Morgan is probably your left tackle. Looks like the rumor is Edgar Barola has really moved up and moved into maybe the, the starting right guard spot and then Peyton Fears at the right tackle. Now, that there could be some maneuvering there. Um, you know, we've heard that Josh Baker has really turned some heads. We've heard that David Watson has really turned some heads. We've heard that Josh Donovan has turned some heads. Uh, there's some rumblings that uh, like a JT Hand has moved into that top eight. So you mix those guys, you've got Woody Jean, you've got Sam Longy, you've got you know Davis Duvall, you've got bodies there, but now you need them to step up. As we mentioned, there were differences between the depth chart and, and some of the projections. I think the biggest one being uh, the right side of the offensive line with Josh Donovan and Josh Baker being listed in the two deep at guard with Longy as the backup left guard, although the the rumblings and the speculation is that Baker uh, might be the guard uh, backup guard at both spots. Uh, Peyton Fears was indeed listed as the starting right tackle. Interestingly enough, it was Edgar Barola, not at, listed at guard, but listed as the backup tackle. Lae was actually listed as the backup left tackle. He's the only guy who was repeated there. But you could see maybe Barola being what some would refer to as the swing tackle, a guy who could play... Uh, back up at both tackle spots if he isn't being used more inside. By the way, JT Hand also listed as the backup center. You need them to show 
that they can protect Gunnar Cruz and Will Plummer, and maybe more importantly, that they can establish the run game. Because a lot of us assume that with the inexperience of the quarterback position and with the talent at running back, that Arizona's going to try to run the ball a lot. And that only works if you can establish the run game with your offensive line. Now, you can do some things in the passing game. Uh, whether it's play action, whether it's rollouts, whether it's quick hitters, to kind of get guys out of the box. But at some point, if, if you know Cruz and Plummer are pedestrian, if they're if they're mediocre, you're going to start facing eight, nine in the box, and it's going to be up to this offensive line to move them, and that'll be the key. Now, I think you're going to see Arizona using a lot of you know 12 personnel, two tight end sets. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw some three tight end sets to add extra blockers out there. Um, could we see them with the, you know, they do have a fullback now. Could that be something that we see? So I think there's a lot of scheming to do. I think there's a lot of things that they're going to do to try to uh, take the pressure off of this line. Uh, but they've really got to make a leap. The good news is they're bigger than they have been in years past. They're not as undersized as they have been. So I think there's some reasons for optimism. But at the end of the day... You know, you kind of have two and a half proven guys. I mean, we know Lai's good. We know McCauley's pretty good. And Barola showed flashes before his interesting 2020 filled with conspiracy theory and, and, and things like that. So I think the line is, is vital because, again, not only do you have to have an effective offense, you got to keep guys safe. You got to keep Cruz and Plummer upright. And that's the challenge. Oddly enough, there seems to be more optimism for the defense than anything. And a lot of that is just the dynamic personality uh, of Coach Don Brown, the defensive coordinator, and some of the other coaches. But Arizona, at least, they may not be, again, overly talented, maybe much like the line, but they are deep. Arizona has said they could be end up using eight or nine defensive linemen. They've talked about going six, seven deep at linebacker. When you throw in the Viper position, it could be even deeper. Um, so that's a lot of interesting bodies a lot of, of guys out there now are any of them good enough that i'm not sure um here's what i think we know i think we know that there's two guys to really look at on this defensive line and the first is jalen harris uh harris you know was obviously a big time get a few years ago has shown flashes I mean, there have been times where he's been one of the best players on the field. There's other times you wonder where he is. There's also, I think there were some concerns with how he was used under Sumlin, especially kind of moving him back and forth from defensive end, outside linebacker. Well, he's a DN now because they're going to go with a, you know, for the most part, a traditional four D-line set. Whether they're going four D-linemen, three linebackers, whether they're going four D-linemen, two linebackers, and a Viper, which is sort of that hybrid uh, you know, a lot of people use it nickel. So it's, it's very similar to, I think, from what little we've seen, it's going to be similar to kind of what we saw from the nickel back position under Mike Stoops, where it's that hybrid linebacker as opposed to the fifth defensive back, which was is more of a slot corner that you see a lot in the NFL. So again, you're going to have bigger guys. In fact, I know uh, linebacker Rourke Freeberg is a guy who is who's the, probably the backup Viper. But on the defensive line, again, we, we're going four deep. The other guy, and he's just turned heads like crazy, is Mo Diallo. Diallo came into camp late. Uh, he was the transfer from uh, Central Michigan. He was a guy who apparently spent part of the summer on a fishing boat in Spain and just basically walks in 
and uh, kind of takes over and, and earns that starting spot. Um, now, whether he plays inside or out is still kind of up. I've seen some things where he may be a def- that bigger defensive end, where Jalen Harris is the rush end, and Diallo's kind of the you know what I would call the run stopper end, or whether he ends up moving inside, I'm not sure. Uh, but Diallo is really a guy who some people feel has some NFL ability. So being able to bring him in, uh, especially when you do lose Roy Lopez, he's going to make the Texans, I think, is a nice thing. Then it gets a little murkier. And, and part of it is because there was a lot of injuries. There was a lot of injuries in fall camp. Uh, and guys, so you had guys who I think they're going to count on who didn't get as much playing time. But everyone should be relatively healthy now. Now, on the inside... You've got the the likes of Kion Bars, you've got Trevin Mason, you've got Aaron Blackwell, who I believe is in his sixth or seventh year of college football. Uh, you have Laville Tatum, who's a nice story. He was a guy who uh, committed to Sumlin, but really didn't have an offer, thought he had an offer. It was a miscommunication on Sumlin's part. Uh, ends up coming in as a preferred walk-on, basically, from Fresno State, and, and has really found a place on this uh, team. Now, if they go deeper into uh, this 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 defensive uh, front, you might see, might see Nahe Salunga or Miles Tapuosoa. Uh, Tapuosoa is the guy who uh, took all of last year off. Many thought he was leaving the program. He comes back. Uh, at defensive end, this one, you know, you got... Uh, you got Harrison Diallo, you got Paris Shand, you got J.B. Brown, you got Eddie Siamau Sanatoa, you got Dion Wilson, maybe Jason Harrison, Region Terry mix in there. You know, I think that will be very interesting to see when the depth chart actually comes out. Actually, who is listed in the two deep across? But as you can see, there are bodies. There is again some legit size. We're not going to be seeing a 210-pound defensive end, uh, at least not very often. So I, I'm encouraged there by the defensive line. Again, you'd rather have maybe four proven all Pac-12 type caliber guys, but if you can play with eight or nine okay guys guys who can give you a few good plays here and there and then you keep rotating to keep them fresh uh, that's better than we've seen with arizona and if really if you want to see a, a spot where arizona has really bolstered the position rapidly it is at the linebacker position arizona obviously losing uh, two key guys last year when it, they weren't sure they were going to play or thinking they were going to play in the spring you know, losing Schooler, losing Fields. Fields just made the Browns roster despite being a little banged up. Uh, Schooler is, is a borderline All-American candidate out of Texas Tech. The one guy who stayed was Anthony Pandy, and Pandy is going to be kind of the leader of this group. Uh, obviously a fifth-year guy playing the world linebacker position. Uh, here's a guy who is athletic, who can play very well, has been among Arizona's defensive leaders for years, and the team will really count on uh, him at the will linebacker behind him is really one of the head turners of camp uh, Rashi Hodge jr. The transfer from New Mexico State the in-state product who came in uh, He's really moved his way up uh, The depth chart has really turned some heads again very dynamic playmaker much like Pandy kind of all over the field guy I guess if there is a concern there's been some talk that maybe he plays a little too instinctively and a little less scheme-wise. But I think, again, Rashi Hodge Jr. is a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, really, if you if you want a young guy to keep an eye on, it might be Colby Cage. Probably a little undersized now. Probably has to add some muscle. But here's a guy who might be able to work his way into the rotation. In the middle, again, you, you're looking at transfers. You're looking at Jerry Roberts, the, 
the uh, grad transfer from Bowling Green. You're looking at Malik Reed, uh, the transfer from Wisconsin, the, the in-state kid again, getting him back in the fold. These two guys will really kind of hold down the middle. And then out at the uh, the strong side linebacker, the Sam linebacker, it's probably going to be Treshawn Hayward, again, another grad uh, transfer from the MAC, uh, MAC Defensive uh, Player of the Year. Uh, not too long ago, a guy who Arizona didn't think they were going to end up getting. Something happened between him committing and then coming in. But then again, he now back in the fold and he has turned some heads. And then Kenny Hebert, uh, who is the transfer from Vanderbilt. So again, a lot of transfers coming in. This is where I come in with a update and break in and, and admit a slight mistake here. According to the depth chart, Treshawn Hayward and Jerry Roberts our co-starters at the Mike linebacker spot, whereas Hebert uh, is listed at the Sam, the, the strong side linebacker spot. Um, backing up Roberts and Hayward at the Mike is Dante Smith. Backing up uh, Hebert is Isaiah Johnson. And then we're seeing a long list of guys at the Will linebacker, including Pandy, Reed, Hodge, who I mentioned, plus R.J. Edwards and Colby Cage. So just a little correction to what I said during the original recording of the podcast. Please don't hold it against me. Uh, but really, those six guys, Pandy Hodge, Roberts Reed, Hayward, Hebert, uh, all experienced guys one way or another. Uh, not all upperclassmen, you know, Reed's, Reed's an underclassman, uh, but all guys who have played played at a pre, either at a high level at a smaller school or have been involved in a Power 5 program. I mean, you're looking at guys who've played for... Vanderbilt, who've played for Wisconsin, Oregon, have have, have done very well, uh, whether it's at New Mexico State, whether it's at Western Michigan, whether it's at Bowling Green. Then there's that, yeah, again, we mentioned the Viper position, which is sort of that hybrid position. Uh, Christian Young seems to be most likely the starter with Freeberg backing him up. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if anyone, any of the other safeties end up having to play over there. Um and how they utilize that position. Is this a position we see on the field quite a bit? Is it just used for certain situations? Again, not having really seen what uh, Don Brown's doing with this defense. Uh, you know, the other question with this front seven, front eight, if you want to count the Viper position, is, is the blitzing. We've heard Brown described as Dr. Blitz. We know he's going to blitz probably more than any coach we've seen in a long time. The question is how much of the blitz is the actual attack itself and how much is the fear of the blitz Something that is utilized by Brown to, you know, trick the other team, to put the other team on their heels. You show blitz, you back out of blitz. Or do you describe, disguise the blitzes really well and you don't show anything and then you're bringing a guy off the, off the edge, whether it's, you know, a linebacker, whether it's a, a corner or something like that. Again, uh, that's always an interesting aspect of this uh, defense and, and, and what Don Brown wants to do. The defensive backfield, again, a lot of bodies. Is there a lot of talent? When you look at the cornerback position, uh, it really looks like there's a, there's a top two and then there's a drop-off. Uh, Isaiah Rutherford, the, the transfer from Notre Dame. Christian Roland Wallace, he's been one of the... Uh, bright spots on the defense over the past few years. Uh, they seem to have a lockdown on those top two spots. Um, if Arizona does go with a nickel corner, uh, looks like it would probably be a Malik Houseman, although you could see Jaden Young battling for that. And then after that, the depth kind of drops down. Trading Stooks, who's a former walk-on who just earned a scholarship. 
uh, seems to be the backup uh, corner as what does Mackenzie Barnes. But right now, that's a big drop-off between Roland Wallace and Rutherford and the other guys. And that's a big, I think, big place of concern for Arizona. And one reason they're going so trying to go DB heavy in these recruiting classes. Uh, the defensive backfield, when you get to the safety spot, uh, feeling a little bit better. Um, you know, there are some bodies. There is some talent. Uh, you got guys like Jackson Turner, Reddy Short at the strong safety position, uh, Isaiah Mays and Logan Kraut, the younger guys backing them up. At free safety, the transfer gunner Maldonado, and you got Jaden Young, you got Isaiah Taylor, you got Dalton Johnson. Uh, so there are some bodies there, some guys I think you feel a little bit better about. Again, you could always see some things shifting around where maybe, you know, a Houseman or, or, or Christian Young drop back and, and play some safety as well. Uh, Maldonado has, has done some good things since transferring in from Northwestern. Turner and Short, uh, you know, came in as well-regarded players. And, uh, you know, Short maybe finally near, near the end of his career ready to really live up to that four-star billing he had as a former UCLA commit. But overall, again, I think the, the secret is can the, they use the depth in the front seven, front eight, if you will, to overcome maybe an overall lack of talent? Um, again, I think with Harris, Diallo, Pandy, you, even Hayward, you feel pretty good about that group. But the rest of the guys, you got some talent, you got some intrigue, but do you have enough to go up against these Pac-12 offenses? Uh, the defensive backfield, again, that that would be my bigger concern. Again, I like I like Rutherford, I like uh, Roland Wallace. The, after that, you, again, you start to worry just a little bit. How much is the blitz a factor? How much can they out-scheme? teams uh, utilizing the experience of of Don Brown and and those coaches as well as the maybe the motivational side that you get with a Ricky Hunley or Chuck Cecil so what do we think about Arizona again I'm going to do a, a bigger preview tomorrow on Friday although by the time you listen to this it might be Friday who knows how long it takes me to edit well, we're looking at the BYU game the season expectations uh, things of that nature. Really, just the main thing I want to see. It's not wins and losses. It's improvement. I've made parallels to Mike Stoops' first year, and I, I stay with that. Arizona was so bad that final year under John Makovic. They were actually deceptively mediocre his first two years. In fact, probably one bad call away from making a bowl game uh, his first year. But they were so non-competitive that, that third year. Uh, and that's really where we were under Kevin Sumlin. We, if you take the USC game out, they just weren't competitive. You know, they did not belong on the same field as a pretty okay ASU team. So can Jed Fish and his staff make them instantly competitive? Can we see some guys who weren't, you know, do we see guys who weren't coached up under Sumlin suddenly getting coached up? Or are we going to see kind of the opposite, that maybe just someone didn't bring in enough talent? And there's a lack of talent. There's nothing Fish and his staff can do. Or maybe they're just not good enough. But I think we'll know that pretty quickly. I think if Arizona goes out and can trade blows at BYU and be in that game, win or lose, I think we feel pretty good about the direction of this program. Conversely, even if they get blown out by BYU, all's not lost. I think we just want to see competence in play calling, competence in you know how the mechanics of the game are run. And if it comes down to just not being good enough, the line can't block, the defensive line can't uh, prevent you know them from being run all over. Then at least we know it's a talent thing. Uh, so I think a lot can be determined in that first game. But again, the long term path of this program probably won't be known for for at least a year or two. 
Hopefully we'll have that announcement uh, sometime Thursday or Friday on what the post-game show is going to look like, where you're going to be able to find it. Very excited if, if this works out the way I think it's going to work out. Again, humbled by your support and by the encouragement I got when I put that up uh, and hoping to continue to bring these podcasts to you two or three times a week. But to all of you who've been clamoring for football for weeks, months, and frankly, years since Arizona got their last win. And to all you've just shown the love, bear down.